You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, we've been in a sermon series called Financial Fitness, and uh, I'm excited about this core value of our church. We've been going through the core values. I'll, I'll review them again in October, but for now, it's just the letter G in the word light in our church name, Gospel Light. And the G stands for generosity, and the rest of the core value is generosity is our way of life. And so what we're trying to do is establish that in, our, in the culture of our church family and, and every single member that is attending Gospel Light, that they would understand this is the goal. This is the goal of contentment. This is the goal of, of giving. This is what our Savior has been to us. He's been generous. He's given us more than we could ever imagine, exceedingly abundantly above all. Uh, God sent his son to the world. I mean, we serve a generous God. Amen. And so we're learning how to be more like him and how we can live generous lives. And so uh, I want to preach a very instructive message today. We started the series off with my brother Brett preaching on biblical generosity. I'm going to finish the sermon series next Sunday with a, with a message that bookends that, that first sermon. It's it's more like the first sermon than, than the middle two. Daniel Brown did a wonderful job last week. I asked a layman in our church, just a businessman, just a, a gentleman that sits where you sit. And I asked Daniel to speak, and he prayed about it and, and said he would, and he did. And I heard it was fantastic. And you got to hear from somebody who sits in the pew Sunday after Sunday, runs a small group, just works in the community. He's, a, he's just a, a, a laborer in the city of Hot Springs, but shared some things from Scripture about giving and about his, his take on stewardship and managing your finances. I thought it was great. I'm going to kind of preach part two of that message. I may preach the most practical sermon I've ever preached, but I want you to know before I do it, there are 31 Scriptures I'm going to share, and, and that ought to make you feel really good because that's what we want to do here is preach the Word. Amen? Preach the Word. And so I want to, I want, I want to say some practical things, but everything I say that's practical is coming from the Bible. I'm not an expert. We had a wonderful couples retreat this weekend. It was awesome. And thank you for attending, for helping, sponsoring, whatever you were able to do. Uh, Kevin and Paula uh, taught us. And Kevin said as he taught, he, he quickly reminded us that he's not an expert, that he's not arrived, that he's still growing. In fact, there was times when Kevin was teaching, he would give illustrations and say, hey, just three or four years ago, God taught me this. And I'm a better husband because of it. And I'm thinking, a man that's been married, you know, for uh, 37, 38 years, to say that is good. That's a good thing to say. I want to say that. Because I, I, the things I'm teaching here today, by no means have I arrived. I'm not a financial planner. I'm not a financial coach. I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I, I, can, I can give advice. And, and I'll do that this morning from Scripture. But very practical, but very scriptural. And not coming from a professional financial planner, but coming from a pastor who has a heart for his people, for himself, for his family, to be generous, to make that our way of life, and to find out how we can all grow in our financial fitness. Think about it. When you go to a gym to get financially fit, you have a goal, don't you? For some, you know, it used to be, I think now sometimes the goal is just to get shred and look good, right? But it used to not be that way. Everybody that worked out, and, and, and some still that do it, it used to be the goal was, hey, I want to I want to get stronger because of my, the work that I do. The work that I do requires me to have more strength. Right? I, want to get, 
I want to work out because I've got high cholesterol, cholesterol, high blood pressure. I mean, there was a goal. There was a reason why you worked out. You got financially fit for this purpose. Church family, we are attempting to get financially fit for a purpose. There's a goal. And, and I pray that that goal would become more clear after this morning's message. The strangest title you've ever heard. How shrewd are you? What in the world is that doing as a sermon title? There's a reason. It's actually a biblical word in multiple translations. I tried to get it a more practical word. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't find a more practical word than just using the word itself. So stay with me. Has everybody ever seen the debt clock, the U.S. debt clock? Anybody ever seen it? A couple of you? Take a look at this. This is the debt clock in real time. I remember, I remember I was alive. It wasn't long ago. Do you remember this day? When America reached the one trillion mark in debt. It's been in my lifetime. I remember watching the news and hearing people freaking out about it. Can you believe we have reached the one? Of course, it was the other political party, you know, uh, criticizing the political party that was in office, right? Isn't that the way it always is, you know? You always get blamed for everything, whoever's in office. So I don't remember who it was, but I do remember one trillion dollars in debt as a nation. A few years later, we see the debt clock climbing. We're at $32 trillion in debt, and the interest on that debt is $674 million. And it just keeps climbing. It's not so encouraging to watch this in real time. You think about your children. You think about the debt that's going to be left to the next generation, right? So let's quickly get that off the screen and go back to the main screen, right? But here's why I showed you that. I showed you that to say this, that we are living in times of economic uncertainty. Again, let's just put ourselves for a moment into a, just the average person living today in our society, in our neighborhoods, even some of us here today would consider these uncertain times. I mean, it just seems like a few years ago that the economy was booming and the stock was, stocks were higher than they've ever been, and consumer confidence was at an all-time high, and, and, and that was being portrayed over the news. And we were, we were experiencing that just as Americans. But how quickly can it turn? Economic downturn can come with the snap of a finger. Stocks can go in the opposite direction, and the financial forecast can become very unstable because of the markets. And as a result of that, I think both of our speakers have made this statement in one way or the other that no one is really satisfied with where they're at financially. Most people are not. It seems that no matter how much we make, it never seems to be enough. A Gallup poll said recently that that 64% of all American couples argue over finances. As a result of that, the Gallup poll, the same Gallup poll, said that 52% of those 64% that are having arguments are divorcing over those financial arguments. It's almost as if our vows have changed from till death do us part to till debt do us part. So maybe that's one of the reasons why we're in a four-week sermon series entitled Financial Fitness, because money matters. And money can control people instead of you controlling it. And so what we find in Scripture and what we've been hearing about from Brett and Daniel is that God has a financial plan. And that financial plan will weather any storm, and it also provides peace of mind in the midst of a roller coaster economy. 
And I love it. God cares deeply about your finances. In fact, my brother, I think it was him who actually made mention of several statistics from a biblical perspective that one out of every 10 verses in the Bible deal with money. He also said that 16 of the 32 parables that are in Scripture, 16, half of the parables talk about stewardship. And so I want to go to one of those parables in Luke chapter 16 today. And I want you to see Jesus as he stands and addresses a crowd of rich people. I'm sure there were some poor people there. And I bet there was a ton of religious people there as well. And Jesus says in this parable, in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, he says, there was a rich man. Now, as soon as Jesus said that, I can assure you, it got everybody's attention. In fact, I'll be honest with you, I feel this is the first sermon I've preached in the series. In the 9 o'clock service, usually it takes a while to get them to just really get tuned in. I had them tuned in from the moment I started. I think it's just the subject I'm talking about, money. And, and you know, some people like the subject, some people don't like the subject, but everybody wants to hear something about it. And so this, uh, Jesus says, there was a rich man. He had the crowd right there at, when he said the word rich men, because by the way, most of these men probably were rich men in the crowd, and, and most of these men probably didn't know what their managers were doing with their money. In fact, that's one thing that I hear often from men who are wealthy and have lots of employees that they're concerned about embezzling, and, and it's just hard to keep up with it all and managing larger amounts of money. The Bible says he had a manager. And charges had been brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. This parable is commonly referred to as the parable of the dishonest manager. In fact, if you have a paper copy of your Bible today, probably right next to Luke 16, that statement is made, the parable of the dishonest manager. As Jesus speaks, the group of leaders turn around, and Jesus continues in Luke chapter 16 and verse 2, and he says, And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? He calls his manager's attention. He says, Okay, come into my office for a minute. I need to have a chat with you. What what is this I hear about you? Words out on the street, and it's not just one or two, it's, it's several employees now. You know, I wasn't going to say anything for the first couple of times because I wanted to give you the benefit of the doubt, but you know, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word's established, and I'm starting to hear some things about the way you're managing money. And I'm, I'm finding that you're very irresponsible. So he turns, he says, he says this to the man, turn in the account of your management. Now, the way we would say it is this, what? Your fired. Turn in the account of your management. You can no longer be manager. Now, at this point in the parable, Jesus tells us what the manager begins to think. He begins to say something to himself. He begins to think about his situation. He's just been fired. This is his only form of income. This is how he's going to make a living. And so he says to himself in verse 3, what am I going to do? This is not a good situation. I mean, since my master is taking away the management from me, he says, first of all, I'm not strong enough to dig. He says, immediately, I don't see myself as a common laborer. I've got soft hands. I like playing video games, you know. I, I don't want to get out there and work hard and sweat. I, I just want to have it easy, you know. I, I don't want to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. And it seems as if 
as we read through the parable, that he had a little bit of time after he was fired. Maybe, maybe it was that his boss said, look, I'm going to give you a couple of weeks severance pay, or I'm going to let you get your office cleared, give you a few days before you have to actually get off the property. I'm not sure how it all worked out, but there seems to be a little window of opportunity for this man to make some decisions about what he was going to do. So it dawns on him. I need to make a financial plan. And so he says in verse 4, I have decided what to do now. And I've added the words now, and I've added the word future to get you to think about what this is all about. What is this parable teaching us? He said, I've decided now, now meaning I'm fired. I've lost my job. I've got to make some decisions. Right now, it's crunch time. So that when in the future, sometime in the near future, I am removed from management, which is happening right now, People may, in the future, receive me into their houses. Does everybody see what his financial plan is? It's, it's simple. Basically, since he knew he was fired, he, he knew he had to quickly go around and make some deals with his boss's customers so he could maybe have some way to continue to live. So he says in the next verse, So summoning his master's debtors with this little window of opportunity that he had, one by one, he says to the first, hey, how much do you owe my master? Oh, well, I I owe him 100 measures of oil. Hmm. Tell you what. Tell you what I'm going to do for you. Get out your checkbook, write me a check for 50% of that, and we'll call it a deal. Can you imagine that debtor's reaction? Dude! Are you serious? You're going to give me a 50%? Hey, look, man, I I don't know what the future holds for you, but if you ever need anything, need a place to stay, need some help, give me a call. In fact, fact, here's my number. He was trying to make sure he had a future after he lost his job. Notice in verse number 7, he says to the other, how much do you owe? He says 100 measures of wheat. He says to him, take your bill and write 80. Now, at this point, you and I can only imagine... That as Jesus is teaching this parable, what those rich men must be thinking. The servant is a dead man when his master finds out the deals he's cutting. He's gone. He's dead. He's he's in trouble. First of all, the the, the boss is going to make him repay it. Second of all, he's probably going to put him in debtor's prison. This is not looking good. And so Jesus, I'm convinced more than likely, just, just thinking about the energy sometimes that you feel in the crowd. Like when I tell an illustration or a parable like story... People listen, sometimes even more than they listen to the practical sermon part. They, they love stories. They love illustrations. And Jesus oftentimes taught using parables, stories that they understood, that were easy to apply. He felt the energy in the crowd, and Jesus knew how they viewed money. And I'm sure they were shocked by the next thing Jesus said. In verse 8, the very first part of the verse, he says, The master commended the dishonest manager for his, here's the word, shrewdness. He commended him. Oh, yeah, he, he didn't commend him for being a dishonest manager, but he commended him for his shrewdness. What, what is that? I, honestly, I had to look it up. Here's the definition of shrewdness. It's having or showing sharp powers of judgment. The other word that was in the definition was the word astute. So just, just to, to be spot on, I looked up the word astute, and the word astute means to have 
the ability to assess a situation immediately so you can do something about it. Astute. Shrewd. Now, please understand with me this morning that he wasn't commending him for his previous dishonest activity of wasting his boss's possessions. He wasn't commending him for that. He was commending him for seeing this dishonest manager saw that he had a problem and he was acting upon it. That's what it means to be shrewd. You see an area, and since we're talking about finances, and since the parable is about finances, you see an area in your personal financial stewardship, and you're shrewd. You begin to fix it. You cannot go back and make a brand new start, but you can start and make a brand new end. So I don't know what kind of situation you're in right now, but don't, don't worry about what's happened. And don't get discouraged about, you know, folks that, and, and I, say, I say this a little sarcastically, and I don't mean it to sound bad, but folks that uh, you know, tend to brag about their, their being debt-free, and you're, you're not debt-free, and that's where you're at. So guess what? It's okay. I'm not debt-free either. I understand that, that, that some of us are in different places in our finances, and that's okay. It's completely okay. We've all come today just as we are, right? And we come that way to God sometimes in prayer. And we say, Lord, this is where I'm at. And I need your help. And God says, oh, you've come to the right place. And so God's word this morning as you've come to church has principles within this idea of financial fitness. Jesus goes on and continues the commentary in this parable. And we're going to read the rest of that verse as he teaches us to be wise with the opportunities that we have. In verse 8 he says, The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of the world are more, there's that word again, shrewd. They're more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. In some places that I researched They say that unsaved people give more money to charitable organizations than Christians give to the church. It seems as if there's some truth here. Jesus is acknowledging that even those sometimes who are of the world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. What's interesting is Jesus had already spoken about being shrewd or being wise in our dealings with the world in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, a much more familiar verse, right? He says, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. The manager has thought ahead. The manager has prepared for the future. We're introducing this morning a wise part of financial planning. This was a great financial strategy. He had a small window of opportunity and this man used it wisely, and he was commended for it. Now, the content of this parable is not going to be the subject of my message today. I opened with this parable because it merely reminds us that God is interested in your financial fitness. And I think we should know that by now. The parable teaches us that God uses money to see how spiritually mature we are. And I want to encourage you with this, that he also uses the issue in Scripture of money management and tells us how we handle wealth as a a test oftentimes of whether he can trust us with genuine spiritual blessings. Take a look at this verse in Luke chapter 16, verse 11, as we 
a little further down from the parable where it says, if you then have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, unrighteous wealth, meaning things that we can't take with us to heaven, things like money, things like things, things like possessions, houses, cars, lands, boats, you know, are you with me? The unrighteous wealth. Then how can we be entrusted with the true riches? I'm going to address what true riches are maybe towards the end of the message, but I think all of us right now would be wise maybe to take just a moment and ask ourselves the question, what is the most valuable possession I have? Nobody just thought of a thing. Not one person in this auditorium thought of a thing, of a material possession. So the amount that God is able to bless our lives is often connected to the way we handle the material blessings of life. So the question I have for you today is, is how good of a money manager are you? And I have the same question for me. I'm just examining. I'm looking at a, a challenge here in this parable. I, I'm looking at an opportunity in this month of September with this core value of generosity, with a challenge that a missions pastor just gave to, to give to a Dixie Jackson offering. And honestly, I, I'm, I, I don't know that I've got any any room to give. I'm not sure that it, it could even be in my thought process right now. I'm asking all of us to kind of look where we're at, examine where we're at, and, and then potentially look to do something about it. I want you to give some real thought to some practical financial principles we find in Scripture from Solomon. Solomon in the book of Proverbs was the richest man on planet Earth. In fact, he would make Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk to shame. That's pretty strong, isn't it? But it's true. Solomon gave some sound financial advice to us, to, for us to follow. And Solomon was the shrewdest person ever to live. And so confidently, not embarrassingly, I give you these four shrewd financial principles. Number one, have a system for keeping records. Why is that so important? Well, it's actually in the Bible. Because riches can disappear so quickly. In fact, if you don't watch your business dealings closely, you know what I mean. Think about this passage in Proverbs 27. Uh, Solomon says this to, to, to that culture then. Know the state of your flocks. Put your heart into caring for your herds. For riches don't last forever. And, cr and the crown might not be passed to the next generation. Now, just for a moment, the, contextually here, obviously we know that in those days, people were shepherds, right? And so, those shepherds had sheep. Their assets were tied up in their sheep. And because of that, Solomon said, hey, hey watch your sheep. Put your heart into your herds. Today, maybe God would say, know the condition of your portfolio. Today, it would be more common for us to hear, hey, what's the condition of, of your 401k, of your stocks, of your investments? Because we have assets in different ways today. But there's the idea, right? The idea is that know where your money is going and know where your money is coming from. Know the state of your finances. Be aware. Has anybody ever said this? And you don't have to raise your hand, just in, in your heart. Has anybody ever thought this or said this about... 
payday. I just don't know where all the money's gone. Isn't that true sometimes? I mean, I just, where, where does it go? You know, it goes so quickly. Scripture says in Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5, don't wear yourself out to get rich because you know better. Stop. Just stop it. Kevin likes this, right? Remember from yesterday? <laughs> sometimes we just want to say, stop, right? It's great counseling. So, Eric, what do I do about my spending? Stop it, you know. Why? Because it's in Proverbs. I don't know. As soon as your eyes fly to it, it disappears. Isn't that how money is sometimes? It, for, it, for it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. In fact, I've often heard it said this, that, you know, money just burns a hole in my pocket. It just seems like I put it in my pocket, and before I know it, I got a hole in it, and it's gone. And so maybe if that's your situation, if that's your feelings sometime, Haggai chapter 1 and verse 6 might help you out. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Listen, it's a giant warning light. I mean, a red flashing light when you, that you are in trouble when you don't know where your money is going. And that's why Scripture has so much to say about it. And and, and truthfully, I'm not even covering it all. That's why I'm asking you to consider asking yourself or asking your spouse as as a couple sometime during this month of October, hey, sweetheart, hey, honey, let's talk about where we are at financially. Let's look it over. Let's talk about it. Let, what are the state of our flocks? What are the, let's put our heart into the state of our, of our sheep here. Let, let's look at where we're at, and let's be honest about it. Let's be shrewd about it. Let's be astute about our situation. If you're single today, and, and you say, man, I, I don't know who I should talk to. We've got some incredible financial coaches that are certified and godly Christian people who live by biblical principles. We have financial planners, and, and we're blessed in our church to have two or three or four of those people. And, and uh, if you don't know who they are, I, I, can, I can point you in that direction. And maybe it would be nice for someone to, to have a moment to sit down with somebody. And I know many of you have. And, and it's always helpful to do that. So if you don't keep good records, Scripture says before long you'll be in trouble doesn't take much time. You end up spending more than you make. You go farther and farther into debt, and one day you wake up and it's a major problem. So real quick, four things we all need to know about our finances. Number one, we need to all know what we own. What we own. What do we have? What are our assets? It's just good to know that. Know the state of your flocks. Know, know the state of your, of your, of your house. What, what do you owe on it? What, what is the, what is the uh, uh, oh, sorry. Equity, thank you, yeah. What, what is the equity? What, what, is the, uh, what do you owe on credit cards? What do you owe when it comes to your car? What's the balance? And, and figure all that out. What, how much do I actually own? Secondly, I need to know what I owe. Your debts and your liabilities against your assets. What do you own and what do you owe? Thirdly, I need to know, I need to keep good records on what I earn. I mean, that's so important, just knowing exactly what you earn, not just from a paycheck, but maybe from interest and savings accounts, or could be birthdays or anniversaries or, 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 or extra jobs or child support, alimony. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of income situations that oftentimes, if we're not careful, we ignore those, and, 
and they can work against our, our strategy to get out of debt or to get into a better place or to be more generous. And finally, I need to know where it goes. Where does it go? What is my outcome? What, what are my bills? What, what, that's a budget. In fact, it's funny, I, I, I haven't thought about this in years. Probably nobody in this building knows I ever did it, but tw- 25 years ago, I wrote a book called The Right Start. I sold, actually sold 10,000 copies of this book, interestingly enough. I was cleaning out my garage the other day because I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm trying to be shrewd and, and clean out my garage. It was a mess. So I'm working on it. I'm painting it right now. Or I'm not painting it. Somebody's helping me paint it. But anyway, we're getting it all cleaned up, getting it, you know, we had a garage sale. In fact, I gave up and just said, everybody drove up, I just said, take it, it's yours, you know. You, one guy came by and took it all. I thought that was quick, you know, and uh, it wasn't all that valuable. But I found 11 copies of the book. I, I didn't think I had any other copies, but it's just called The Right Start. I wrote it years ago based on my daddy's advice he gave to me when I was 13 years old. He said, son, you need to have a, uh, you need to understand your cash on hand, your checking account, your savings account, and your no-touch account. He said, your cash on hand is the money that you use to, you know, to buy a little fast food or a cup of coffee or a haircut. He said, your checking account is to pay your bills, your savings accounts for emergencies, and your no-touch account is to not touch. And my daddy taught me that, and I wrote a little book on my dad's advice, and, and it's been a blessing. I've got 11 copies left, so first come, first serve, just kidding. And uh, I probably should keep, keep some of those. But nevertheless, I, I'm grateful that at an early age, I began to learn that it is important to know where your money goes. Know the state of your finances. Number two, don't be hasty with your, span, with your spending. Plan it. What's interesting about planning is it applies to so many areas of our lives, but none more important than finances. Simply put, put some thought into your spending. Listen to this in Proverbs 21, verse 5, some some financial fitness advice from Solomon. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Notice with me for just a moment on the screen, and I have it, I think, in bold in there, the word hasty. It's an interesting word. We, we probably wouldn't use the word hasty as much today. But today, in the advertising world, this is called impulse buying. Okay? It's, it's, it's making an emotional decision about a purchase. It, being hasty is making a decision based on emotions. You see it, you smell it, you taste it, you hear it, you feel it, and you impulsively what? Buy it. It's kind of like watching a, a Wendy's commercial, right? You're sitting in your living room, and, you know, it's, it's kind of the end of the month, and, you know, things are a little tight, and, you know, you've already got some on the credit card, but, man, the commercial comes on. It's Wendy's, and they show you that Frosty, and, man, it looks so good, right? I mean, it's just perfect. I mean, little dot at the top, perfect little cone, and then you see the hamburger, right? And it's beautiful, and it's juicy, and the cheese is melted over the top. The lettuce is fresh. The, I mean, the bread's perfect, and you're like, honey, to get us a Wendy's. So you rush to the drive-thru, you order exactly what you saw on the television, you get it, and the frosty is like wilted and coming over the top and dripping onto your pants, and, and now you got to go to the dry cleaner and p- spend more money, and then the hamburger, you open it up, and it's like the cheese isn't melted, the, weather, the lettuce are wilted. You're like, this wasn't on the television! What's going on here? It never is. Cars are never like that. Food's never like that. Clothes that we see. I mean, it's, it's called advertising. That's what it is. And they're so smart. 
Our society is geared around advertising. Advertising is geared around getting you to buy impulsively. They want you to buy based on your emotions, not based on your budget. And Scripture teaches this. That financial fitness is not based on how much you earn. Financial fitness is based on how much you spend. And financial freedom is not, if I just make this amount of money, I'll be financially free. Financial freedom comes not by making more, it comes by spending less. And we learn this from Solomon. So plan your spending, use a budget. Because some money goes as fast as it comes. And, 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 I, and I talk to people sometimes, they just say, man, I, as soon as I get it, it just, it just leaves. Proverbs twenty one twenty says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Now, personally, I think Solomon was having like an IFB moment right there. Like, I don't think I would have said it like that. That was not nice. But fools spend whatever they get. I mean, that was kind of a mad, some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, that's just an angry preacher, right? You fool, you're spending everything you get. If I say that, I'll get 10 emails the next week. I get it. I, I wouldn't do it that way, but I'm just going to read it. Solomon did it. He did it for me, right? The truth of the matter is, is we need to be careful that we don't spend everything we make. Amen? I don't think I've gotten one amen this entire sermon. It's funny. When you preach on, it's, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Can you imagine how I feel? You know? But, but the truth is, I'm not speaking out of a place of, of perfection. I'm speaking out of a place of learning. You, you don't teach what you don't learn. You, haven't, you can't teach what you haven't experienced. I mean, every one of these scenarios, I've been there. I've burned a hole through my pocket. I've spent more than I've made. I've been through these things. But, I'm, but I understand the more I study Scripture, that, that there's a financial fitness plan in Scripture. And God's laid it out for us. And spending can be just like an addiction. No offense, but it can be. That's why we use a budget. A budget is simply planned spending. A budget is telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering where it went. Number three, hold back some for a rainy day. You know what? I told you this would be the most practical sermon to ever preach, but you know what? It's also one of the most biblical sermons that anyone could ever preach. You say, you mean that's in the Bible? Holding back some for a rainy day? Savings is in the Bible? You know, it's, it, it is in the Bible. And interestingly enough, the lesson comes through an ant. You say, you mean like the little creepy crawly ants that, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Look at Proverbs chapter number six and, and listen to scripture here. As, as the ant teaches us a great financial fitness principle, learn to save. Take a lesson from the ants. Again, this is Solomon, not me. I'm just reading it. You lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. This is a principle of setting aside a little money so you can be prepared no matter what crisis comes your way. That's just legitimate financial planning. Simple 101 stuff, right? Because lazy people never save money. Lazy people never have any savings. They never have any money put back. That's what Solomon is saying here. 
And so in Proverbs 21, verse 25 and 26, he says, despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin because their hands refuse to work. Some people are always greedy for more, but the godly love to give. And it's difficult to get to a place where you can be godly and be generous if we're lazy. And so the Lord teaches us here that there is a, that a wise man will save for the future. In fact, we learned this as early as the book of Genesis. When Joseph told Pharaoh, we got a famine coming, we better plan. We better put some things back. Yo, dude, we're in trouble if we don't have a plan. And so Joseph said this, and by the way, this is actually called, many writers that have written about this call it the Joseph Principle. In Genesis 41, he says to Pharaoh, let him appoint overseers over the land and take a fifth, that's, that's 20%, take a fifth of the harvest of the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. The Joseph principle is to learn to live on 80% of your income. And that, that's going to take a while for me, for all of us, but that, that's a principle. The Bible talks about having a savings plan. And did you know that the Bible talks about not being involved in get-rich-quick schemes? It's there. In fact, you'll find it in Proverbs chapter number 30, uh, 13, verse uh, 11. In the, in, in the NLT, it says, Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappear. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Isn't that amazing? I realize that's in the New Living Translation. So that, that's a phrase-by-phrase uh, translation. So let's go to a word-for-word translation in the ESV. It says in the ESV in 1311, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little. I love that. That person who gathers little by little, just a little here, a little there. We've got a missions conference coming up. I mean, in just a few weeks, we're going to be asked to, to give to missions. Some for the first time, some will be asked to increase Some will be asked who have been in our church and not participated, would you get on board this year? I can say by word of testimony, as Kevin shared a moment ago, that that very truly and really, it seems seems true that God is most excited about when a church gives to its church to give outside of its church. And that's what missions is. And and I love it. I've learned to love it. I I tell you, I, I don't feel called to China. I don't feel called to the Dominican Republic. I feel called to missions trips. I like short-term missions trips, but I also like my bed, and I love America. Amen? And so I'm, I'm just being transparent. I, I, and if God calls me, I'm sure he'll change all that. But right now, I am more excited about praying and giving and knowing that I've got a mission field here. I'm passionate about Hot Springs. I love my city, and I know God's called me here, and this is just as much a mission field is as China is. But in order for me to help reach other countries, I have to pray and give. And if I don't do that, I have no part in what the Great Commission is all about. Are you with me? And so the missions conference gives me a chance. The missions revival gives me a chance every year to look at the state of my herds, to look at the state of my flocks, and to say, hey, can I, can I little by little do a, do, can I do a little more? Even if it means, you know, a, a dollar here, a dollar there, a few cents here, a few cents there, a, a jar by the, by the door as I leave and empty my pockets, you know, that day instead of maybe a McDonald's coffee that day, or whatever. I'm just throwing things out there, not to be silly, but just to get you to consider this truth, this fact, this challenge, little by little. You will increase. Real quickly, three financial fitness goals. You need to have some giving goals. 
You need to have some spending goals. And you need to have some saving goals. Set some goals. Quick question. What are you going to save in the next year? Have you ever put any thought to that? You say, well, next year is 2024. I know you've got, you've got four months to plan, three and a half months to plan. What a wonderful thing it would be for everybody to have a savings account with, with some money in it for that rainy day. Amen? That's a good thing. And I'm convinced that everybody in this room, if you learned the state of your flocks and began to really pay attention to putting little by little some back, you could eventually have a, a savings account And that would just be a great goal for all of us. Number four, and finally, and in conclusion, and probably most importantly, be happy with what you have. Be happy with what you have. A few weeks ago, my son Mo preached the subject of contentment. It was, I didn't ask him to preach. It was a standalone sermon. I think I was gone that Sunday, and and he just spoke on contentment. He said, Dad, are you okay with contentment? I said, son, that's great. I listened to it. As I do all the sermons when I'm gone, and, and it, was, it was solid. It was good, good message. Contentment. Solomon is very descriptive when it comes to the topic of contentment. He has a lot to say about it, but I don't know that he's more descriptive in Proverbs chapter number 30, verse 15 and 16 than anywhere else in the Bible. He says, the leech has two daughters. Give, give. Three things are never satisfied. For never, never say enough. Sheol, hell, a childless womb, earth which is never satisfied with water, and fire which never says enough. Oh, to be satisfied with what we have. 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Church family, those listening online, I'm convinced that people are so busy getting more, they do not have time to enjoy what they have. Contentment. So often our yearnings exceed our earnings. Our desire for more exceeds what we can afford. And so we spend our time and our days and our stress levels and our anxiety on trying to get more, work more. We become busier. We become more irritable because, look, let's face it, I'm more irritable when I'm stressed out. Are you? Ask, ask my wife. I'm more irritable. She knows it. She goes, honey, you need, to, you need to step back a little. You need to take a break. You need to be home at 5 o'clock today. You're, you're not... You're not normal right now. You're stressed out. I'm not not stressed out. You know, what does that say about me? I'm stressed out, right? Marriage retreat, I needed it. And so so we, 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 we spend all, and so we get irritable, and then all of a sudden, there's division in the family, there's more arguments in the family, but, but, but we're getting more. We're, 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 we're setting ourselves up for, for more, for bigger, for better, for more material things. And the next thing you know, we are spending less and less time with our children because we've got more and more Zoom calls and more and more phone calls and more and more meetings and more and more late nights and more and more busyness. We're making more than we've ever made before, but there's an epidemic of absentee parents today. 
I'm so concerned about this. Kids don't need things. They need their parents. That's what kids need. Hey, that's what grandkids need. They need their grandparents. The great things in life are not things. They're people. I buried Edith Reedy on Friday. We had our funeral here, and, and Edith was an incredible story. We actually found, this is crazy, we found the testimony. It was 45 minutes. She shared it 20 years ago at Gospel Light, and I have a copy. Ken Reed found it and sent it to me and said, Preacher, we still have her. It, it was so good. I played some of it at the, at the home going. Edith was in prison for 12 years as a young lady. She was an addict. She was on drugs, and she was an alcoholic. And in her own words, she was just a really bad person, you know. And Edith got gloriously saved. She got out of prison, and she gave 24 years of her life to local addicts here in Hot Springs. She was tough. She didn't pull any punches. But the one thing you knew about Edith is she loved you. She'd do anything for you. I've been to Edith's house. I mean, she was blessed. It was a nice brick home on 7th Street. It was nice, decent furniture, nice little collectibles. It was, I mean, I enjoyed the house. I thought it was nice. She had a nice car, decent, ran back, and it was good. But at Edith's home going Friday, there was 100 people in attendance. 80 of them were addicts who had been under her tutelage, her influence, maybe some in here. And, and they all, it was so intense because I, if you've ever seen me do a funeral of someone who's in heaven, it's, it's going to be, we're going to rejoice. We're, we're not going to be depressed. Amen. So we weren't. I didn't let her son down because he told me, I don't want this to be sad. And so we didn't make it that way. But I'm going to tell you, you might have thought it if you'd have walked in late because everybody was crying because Edith had such a profound influence on their life. She lived her life so selflessly. And, and, and the timing of her death and this message just happens to be so perfect that I couldn't leave it out as an illustration. I couldn't. Listen, people are more important than things. You know, and I love my job here. I really do. I love it. And I'm so thankful. I, I work a lot on sermons and getting them ready and preparing in the, in the screens and all of it. And then there's there's bills to pay, there's meetings to have, there's, there's, there's work to do, there's administrative work. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes I'm just like, i got to get out of here. And so I know you make fun of me sometimes, but I go to San Francisco Bread Company. And I have lunch at 11 o'clock, like almost, like three or four days a week. But I never do it by myself. I always call a friend in the church. And I say, would you like to meet me? Let's have lunch together. And we have lunch. And I'm going to tell you, it's my best part of the day. It's better than study, it's better than, than, than accolades, it's better than anything I do is investing time in people. Obviously, that, that's after spending time with the Lord, I, I understand that. But I'm just saying that, that spending time with people and putting an emphasis on your family and on your children. Sometimes when I come home, I did this yesterday, even though we had, you know, Josh and Jared over for the Razorback game, and it was awesome. But Josh will tell you, I spent my whole time with Glorian. I mean, she doesn't want to watch a game. So I'm walking around the house. We're doing fun stuff. We're hanging out. I mean, I'd rather be with Glorianne than I would just about do anything. I mean, she needs me. And people need you. And we need each other. Don't live life alone. 
Don't live life for things. Don't be so busy spending your life trying to accumulate materialism. When I can tell you, when you're gone, it doesn't matter. What matters is people. And this is what I believe about contentment. It's the key to debt-free living. I'm convinced of that. I'm no Dave Ramsey. But I can tell you, if I could just say one word to you today in closing, contentment is the key to debt-free living. And Jesus wasn't against debt. He wasn't against debt. In fact, oftentimes he promoted proper investment and earning interest in Matthew 25. He was for that. There's some debt that is sensible. There's some debt that's an investment. In fact, if you have debt on an appreciable, appreciable asset, it's a good thing. Like your house or a business or maybe land. The test to know if it's a good investment is this. If you sold it, would you make money? If you sold it, would you still be in debt? If the answer is no, then it's a good investment. The Bible does not forbid debt, but debt can become a trap and enslave you. And so Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So quickly, three signs you're living in the debt trap. If you're living on credit, and you don't have the cash to pay, and you keep billing and charging up your credit cards, you're in a debt trap. And we got to get out of that thing. It's going to take some time. Not going to happen overnight, but we'll get out of it together. Number two, if you're always late on payments, if you're delaying payments, if you're paying just the minimum that's due, that's a good sign you're, you're in a debt trap. Thirdly, if you're losing your savings to bills, if you're not saving, you're spending too much. So learn to be content. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm convinced that the presence of God in close relationships with him is the key to contentment. The presence of God in close relationship with him is the key. And that the root of all financial difficulties and the root of all financial stress really comes with this. What do you value and who do you trust? What do you value and who do you trust? Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust your bank account or do you trust things? Who do you trust and what do you value? Because there are some things that are more important than things. Can I give you four real quick? Your family is more important than things. Your family. That's that's way more important than anything I have. Secondly, my marriage is more important than things. It's just just more important. Thirdly, my health. My health is more important than things. But most importantly, God. In time with God, in a relationship with God. I'm afraid another area... Of, of, of hustling to make more is that we don't spend time with God. We don't stop. We don't pause. We don't rest. We don't take that time because that phone keeps buzzing at 6 o'clock in the morning. And those phone calls don't stop, do they? But these things are more important than things. And I don't want to just close with this. Why are we doing all this? What is the purpose in this sermon series, really? I mean, at the end of the day, Eric, generosity is our way of life. Okay, I get it, but wait a minute. This dishonest manager was commended for being shrewd 
And the fact of the matter is, all he really cared about was himself. You, you're right. You're right. He, he, he said, hey, I, I can't dig. I, I, I can't. I'm too ashamed to beg. So, so, so I've got to do this because I've got I've to have a place to stay. I've got I've to have money to pay. My, and all he cared about was himself. And some of the things we've talked about today do deal with you caring for yourself. I get it. But that's not the ultimate goal. To me, why we're doing this is so that we can be generous. We're so tied down with the things of this world. And God calls us to be a generous people, especially the church. And so today I want to share this one last verse with you because I don't believe we're just doing this for ourselves. I believe we're doing this so we can help others when they're in need. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 11. I actually found this verse in my office this morning early when I got there and I had to send it because I didn't have it. But... It was kind of, this is this morning, early. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Wow. Do you believe that? Is the word of God true? If that's true, that all of us today should have a desire to follow these little financial fitness principles so we can get to a place where we'll have generosity, enough to give so we can refresh others, so we can refresh ourselves. No place I'd rather be than in a place where I can be alongside what Jesus is doing here this morning to all of us, being generous, generous with his mercy, generous with his grace generous with his provision, generous to all of us today. Let's share that generosity with others. If you're here today and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you this morning, if you've come and the Holy Spirit has spoken clearly to you that that you'd like to begin that relationship, we're going to be, me and an elder will be up front. Both of us will be here to pray with you, to talk with you. If you need prayer for any reason at all, don't hesitate to come. If this, I actually also made a financial fitness template to help you with your budget. If you want one, you can t- text me or email me, and I will send you that budget template so you can have something to start with. I made it just especially for gospel light, and I, I think it would be a blessing to anybody who wants to, to take some of this advice and use it, only if you'd like it. But I'll send it to you if you ask for it. I'm just looking for ways to, to help us get financially fit. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you again for this opportunity to speak to our church family. Lord, I'm most excited about what we've been doing here today, worshiping you, putting you first, honoring you, giving, opening your word, putting you first in our lives on this first day of the week. God, thank you for these wonderful people you've given me to pastor. Thank you for these guests that have come today, God. We're so blessed by them. Father, help us today to, Lord, to take these financial principles in Scripture and apply them to our personal financial situation. Wherever we're at, God, teach us today through your word. Holy Spirit of God, would you please come and move and work and speak and teach? We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?